And now, The Money Show on 702. Let's walk the talk. APSA CIB, the bank that provides a customized treasury tool to manage FS risk and reporting, is proud to bring you The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. APSA is a registered FSP. Well, good evening and welcome to the Friday edition of The Money Show. My name is Mateo Horipe. It is a Friday and you're probably just winding down and relaxing after a tough week. Well, we're about to stress you just a little bit more. We'll be putting a keen focus on the upcoming national budget, starting uh, with NetBank. They're reporting that their predictions uh, will, what their predictions will be for next week. We'll be talking to Enoch Kodongwana's uh, budget speech that's coming up next week. It will be a tight one, a really, really tough one in an election year. And Isaac Matejo, a senior economist at NetBank, will be taking us through that. Then in our money show explainer, we'll be talking about whether we'll be affected when it comes to tax. Of course, personal income tax, uh, a bother for most of us who are taxpayers in the country and a very stressful one if they are to go up. We'll be talking to Jürgen Ekman, health wealth manager rather, at Consult by Momentum. Then we'll talk about an interesting development that's happening in the sustainable energy industry, an energy hybrid project called Oya Energy uh, reaching its financial close. The 128 megawatt Oya Energy hybrid project are reaching that financial close. They are about to connect to Eskom's struggling grid. Does that mean we'll have less load shedding? We'll find out from Sherwin Harris, the CEO at Oya. Then markets commentary will be covered by Tato Mashejo, portfolio manager at Sunlam Private Wealth. Later on, we'll have our Friday file. That's all on The Money Show tonight. The Money Show with Moteo Kwaribe on 702. 702. It's likely to be a tight budget, a stringent one with high debt in the country. In Okotongwa, are probably crunching the numbers as we speak. Are we going to be affected as consumers, as taxpayers? We'll find out now with Isaac Matsejo, economist at NetBank. Isaac, your assessment as NetBank, you sat down, you crunched the numbers. What should we be most worried about when we come to the budget next week? So, uh, most worrying will be the revenue collections. I mean, the numbers we have so far show that uh, revenue collections running well. Right, having uh, problems with connections there with Isaac Stills uh, sharing what uh, NetBank anticipates in terms of the upcoming national budget, one that's happening uh, during an election year, so the decisions won't be as easy as any other year. NetBank earlier this week saying debt levels are going to rise beyond the government's worst estimates in the 2024 budget, meaning we're spending more than we're collecting in taxes, which means it's a low revenue base and it will be uh, just a juggle of numbers for Inoko Dongwana and his team to try and make sure uh, that we can have at least a balanced uh, budget going into this year. Uh, we heard in the medium-term budget policy statement from Inoko Dongwana in November that he's looking to cut on some of the budget and some of the spending that we're seeing from government. Of course, will that be af- affecting uh, you know, service delivery in the country, some of the uh, infrastructure projects that are important in making sure that we drive the economy. But unfortunately, seems we've lost Isaac Matsejo in that particular line, probably have him next week to go through the budget speech as well. But another issue that's uh, quite 
uh, a tough one for South Africans if, is, of course, load shedding and whether we can have other means of energy to make sure that we make sure our grid is stronger as a country, especially with ESCOM's failures on load shedding. Uh, some good news on that front. Interesting developments. A sustainable energy industry, uh, energy hybrid project, uh, Oya Energy, uh, reaching their financial close, basically meaning they're getting their finances in order. Uh, the 128 megawatt Oya Energy uh, is uh, set to connect to ESCOM's struggling grid and we'll be finding out now from Sherwin Harris, the CEO at Oya, where that puts us as consumers and households who've been largely frustrated by the lights switching on and off in the country. Sherwin, welcome to The Money Show. Hi, Sherwin. Thanks for having me. This uh, uh, quite a feat uh, by the group that you've put together in terms of the energy hybrid project. Can you explain what is the target for this particular energy project? And does this financial close mean we're any closer to getting the project on the grid? Mateo, um, it's a project we are immensely excited about as the NG group. Um, in South Africa today, we eliminate over 1.5 stages of load shedding. But specifically for the Oya project, it's a 155 megawatts of solar, so about uh, 300 hectares, uh, 86.4 megawatts of wind, hybridized in a single facility with 242 megawatt hours of battery. And material, why we're so excited about this project is that, I mean, the challenges you have with solar is that when there's no sun, there's no power. When the wind doesn't blow, there's no power. But what Oya does is enable a dispatchable plant and starts to move the journey of renewables to more base load. So from this point where you have a, one of the largest of its kind globally, first of a kind PV, wind and battery integrated, we see the advent of renewables exploding. So you've balanced uh, the, the renewables amongst the group to, to make sure that uh, when one is down, the other will take up uh, the work. Uh, but this particular project uh, reaching financial close, does that mean uh, you know, the financial backing is done? You're ready to get to work now? Correct. So we've already issued notes. So we've, we've reached financial close. Like you say, finances have been secured and we've issued notice to proceed on the 13th of February. So at the moment, we are, we are breaking ground and construction has begun. Uh, do you have any uh, you know, time frames as to when you are likely to connect to ESCOM's grid? Because as you can imagine, as consumers, we, <laughs> we would rather have that happened yesterday. Correct, correct. So, I mean, this has got a very short 24-month build period, which means based on us reaching commercial close on the 28th of December 2023, by the 28th of December 2025, we should be connected at the worst case up and running and reducing load shedding for over 180,000 homes. So reducing load shedding for 180,000 homes, 24 months uh, it's going to take to do that. Are you also planning to uh, expand on some of these projects after you take care of this? So, uh, Mateo, at the moment, we've also, NG also has two 75 megawatt PV projects that has also started construction in December. So in terms of NG, our commitment to South Africa, we, I think we won the largest hybrids. We're the first, won the largest IPPs. We're the first IPP in the country. So committed to South Africa's development, reducing the energy challenges within South Africa and supporting the net zero journey uh, uh, based on our renewables that we are planning, planned and in construction.
All right, it might be moving at a snail's pace in terms of uh, getting those uh, projects onto the grid, but definitely moving. Sherwin Harris, a CEO at Oya, the uh, sustainable energy project there that's uh, reached financial close, meaning they're ready to work on building this project that will connect to ESCOM's grid. The Money Show with Moteo Kharibe on 702. 702. It is Friday. We have the Money Show Explainer today talking taxes ahead of that tight um, budget that's coming up from Inoko Dongwana and Treasury next week. And of course, the question on everyone's lips, at least on uh, dinner tables and at work, at the watering hole, and uh, just trying to find out whether we'll be paying more in terms of taxes. Because, of course, when our government falters, the taxpayer tends to pay for that. Uh, Jürgen Ekman, a wealth manager at Consult at Momentum, talking to us about whether taxpayers will be paying the price next week. Uh, Jürgen, uh, from your assessment, is there enough wiggle room for the uh, Treasury to find uh, tax raises next week? Good evening, Matteo, uh, to you and to your listeners, and thank you for having me on the show. So I think if we you know, just take a look back at last week, right, at the, at the Sona, um, at Sona that, uh, that the President gave, you know, I think he mentioned about six or seven different funds, you know, from a green energy revolution uh, uh, or from a green energy fund due to an exploration fund in the mining sector, infrastructural funds, um, you know, it's right through to a framework for high-speed rail. You know, all of these funds, and, and I think about $120 billion, you know, for funding in Sanyal projects. I mean, just that as a base, um, you know, all of this funding has to come from somewhere. You know, so I think if we look now forward to, to the budget speech, um, there's basically three areas, you know, that, that the finance minister can consider, which would be personal income tax, value-added tax, and corporate income tax. So on my end, uh, I feel or I think that it's unlikely that you'll see an increase in, in VAT or company income tax. I think predominantly because, you know, it is election year, so that throws uh, an extra spanner into the works. Um, and also he recently, or we recently reduced um, company income tax, you know, to, to stimulate uh, business growth. So to, to look at those two areas, I, I don't think that we, we're going to see increases there. Um, but what that means is, is then, you know, are we going to be looking down the barrel of a gun in terms of personal income tax? Um, it is a big possibility. I mean, in this country, you already have about 41% of the population supporting the country in terms of uh, taxpayers. I don't think there's much they can squeeze out of there. I mean, it would be an unpopular decision, especially with households and consumers having been under pressure with high interest rates and inflation last year. Any movement of that and, and, and people moving into higher brackets of taxes won't be a popular one, especially among South Africans that are under pressure. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Mata. I mean, also in uh, October 2023, the medium-term budget policy statement, you know, we uh, indicated that uh, at least 15 billion rand would be needed in additional taxes to be found from somewhere. And I think at that time, they were also only anticipating a, a fiscal deficit of about 4.9%. 6% is what came in in December, you know. So so even if we kind of have a, an X-ray view at, at the, the state of our, of our country, from a fiscal perspective, you know, I mean, over the years, we've, we've been downgraded slowly but surely by credit uh, ratings companies. 
Um, you know, and they've, they've had this inspiring outlook of, of stable to negative, dwindling tax revenues and spiraling government debt, you know, is kind of is, is added towards that. So, so it's, it's going to be interesting to, to hear what the minister has to say uh, come Wednesday. We've had bumper years in terms of mine, mining tax receipts uh, boosting uh, revenue in the country in the past few years, but we don't have that this time around. Commodity prices have been lower, uh, logistics failures also affecting miners, so we're not likely to have that. What other options can Inokodongwana look at in order to make sure that this is a balanced uh, budget? So there are a couple of areas that, that I've been thinking of, thinking about, and and if I can mention a couple of them, is is you know, once you reach capacity, um, what you need to do is you need to become more efficient if you want to extract more. So what I'm referring to there is that I think that SARS could potentially look at boosting their tax collection efficiency. You know, they can employ some new technologies that are at their disposal, um, possibly like enabling VAT returns on e-filing. That'll make it easier for businesses to file their returns. They could possibly consider voluntary disclosure for previous tax errors without penalty, you know, that potentially could uh, could kind of bolster some some tax revenue coming in. They could uh, even look at potentially uh, innovative financing models, you know. So if we look at infrastructure, all areas of infrastructure, from the planning to installing and even financing, I think the way that they can position that is, is by pricing all of those different areas in infrastructure at marginal costs, possibly even at a loss-making uh, basis and and just with the idea that they would catch the returns through the tax, taxation system at the end of the day, um, partnering with private sector I think will be will be huge and and what we've noticed recently is is that if you give South Africans tax incentives they like to they like to take that. I mean in the last year the president mentioned that I think uh, rooftop solar capacity had doubled in a year. So, I mean, if you're offering these tax incentives to individuals and companies, you open up a wide net to the current taxpayer base to provide funding for critical areas such as energy, water security, and, and what we need money for to fund, uh, fund the country going forward. What I also believe that the government should do is, is possibly shift their focus from spending to rather generating. So, yeah, again, focusing on job creation. Yeah. And potentially, I think, with focusing and having a look at, at NHR, that's potentially going to be rolled out sooner than, than later, is, is having proactive healthcare models, you know, incentivize wellness programs. So I believe that, I mean, if you try and do an incentivized wellness program, keep the healthy population healthy, then what we're doing is we're ring-fencing NHR to potentially just you know, people who really need it. But again, it's then that ring-fencing and then opening up the opportunity for the healthy to be more incentivized to to stay healthy if that makes focus. So again, I think it just leads to, you know, better employment and a healthier and happier employed population. And just quickly, uh, if we can get it to this, uh, Jürgen, uh, when you look at the minister's speech this year, it's happening during an election year. Are you expecting him to make unpopular decisions based on the fact that, um, you know, the governing ANC has to be seen to changing uh, the some of the situation in the country? If you look at the grant payments, I'm sure there won't be any cuts there. But also the public wage bill will also be a big uh, a question over his head. 
Yeah, absolutely. But uh, so, so again, I think that uh, the minister's got this balancing act, right? He, he's got to he's got to manage expectation in government in a, in an election year, but at the same time, he's going to have to find funding for this. I mean, president alluded to that the, the SRD grants or social grant would actually be improved and extended. So we need to even see what that looks like. And again, it's, it's going to have to come from taxpayers. But I think if they look at kind of molding policies to being more efficient, um, really getting a private sector on board, I think that they'll be able to generate additional funding that they haven't been focusing on uh, in previous years. And, and hopefully that's going to lead to, to at least us kind of closing this, this deficit, uh, a fiscal deficit that we've been experiencing over the last couple of years. All right, that was Jürgen Ekman, Wealth Manager at Consult by Momentum. All things pointing to higher taxes and hopefully it won't be personal income tax comes the next week's national budget. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA CIB, the bank that provides a customized treasury tool to manage FX risk and reporting. APSA is a registered FSP. The Money Show. The Markets. Time to wrap up the markets now with Tato Mashiko, Portfolio Manager at Sunlam Private Wealth. A very retail sales heavy day. Uh, US retail sales, the UK retail sales. Uh, Tato, when you look at the UK ones, uh, a welcome number, I'm sure, after that economy uh, reported on uh, a technical recession yesterday. Well, good evening, Motel. I think you're definitely correct in saying some much-needed respite for the UK economy. It was obviously a very difficult year in 2023, with them obviously ending the year technically in recession. We know the issue that they've had with inflation throughout the year, in particular food inflation, as well as a weakened property market. So seeing that uh, consumers might be rebounding is obviously quite positive. However, the the number was... um, Obviously, off a low base, we saw quite um, quite a dip in December for UK retail sales, you know, more than 3% um, down. And obviously, over the Christmas period, you don't want to see those sort of numbers. So one would want to see, I guess, more signs of recovery, you know, waiting until um, February and March just to see exactly which areas um, of, of the consumer landscape are faring a bit better or if this is just um, a one-source, so to speak. Then in the world's largest economy, uh, January's retail sales slump 0.8% there. Um, speaking to just looking like a stressed U.S. consumer at this point, I'm sure everybody's looking forward to the cut in interest rates. How does this affect that particular decision for the Fed uh, when they look at these numbers? Well, it does make the decision quite quite tricky, to be honest. Uh, I think everyone has ruled out uh, on a March cut, but uh, we're now... Uh, going into question whether a May cut is, is likely given some of the mixed data that, that we are seeing. Uh, uh, some of the more optimistic uh, optimists are blaming bad weather um, for for the lower number but if one considers the, the indebtedness of the US consumer, you obviously know that you know credit card debt is, is rising and um, personal savings are, are being depleted. And then when we couple this with the inflation print that we saw uh, a few days ago, also um, you know above um, analyst expectations, core CPI still double the Fed target of two percent. So it makes it very, uh, I would say, tricky 
for the Fed to engage in somewhat of an early pivot. And if we consider where we started the year with the market expecting around six rate cuts, that is increasingly unlikely if May is also going to be off the table. So it has some implications, of course, for for asset prices. Um, very, very difficult position. And I think they'll continue to watch the data as it comes in and hoping for a, a bit more relief. But um, the, the consumer definitely being stressed to maintain the levels of great consumption that we saw in the U.S. economy last year. And just quickly, uh, looking at uh, the national budget that's coming out next week, a lot of jitters, especially uh, for South African consumers, but also for Inokodongo. And how does he balance this one uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, there is some sort of growth that comes from it? It is quite um, quite a quagmire, I would say, that uh, the minister finds himself in. You do not want to be a finance minister in an election year when, of course, there are varying calls from various stakeholders for increased um, expenditure. Obviously, this has implications for fiscal consolidation, and that is something that the market will be looking at quite closely. We know, obviously, that the budget deficit is likely to be higher than what was forecasted at the, yeah. the medium-term budget um, statement. Um, but what it boils down to is either taxes are going to have to rise or uh, we're going to have to see further indebtedness because we are not going to see significantly reduced um, expenditure in the short term given the political cycle. So um, that is obviously quite tricky. Some people are speaking of the reserve yeah. um, that Treasury has, but that's another discussion as well. I guess we'll have to see what that means for the markets next week. Tato Mashejo, Portfolio Manager at Sunlam Private Wealth. The all share up a half a percent today with the JSE rebounding. Financial shares posting a last minute rebound before market close. That helped the local market with a rand at 18 rand 88 against the dollar. That, your market wrap. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. Absa CIB, the bank that provides a customized treasury tool to manage FX risk and reporting, is proud to bring you The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. Absa is a registered FSP. Time now for our Friday file, and it's an old German recipe kept in the family for generations. It's become so tasty that the company is now successful. We're talking Hark and Hart. This is a company, an enterprise, a baking one that's made sure that it produces a DIY baking package so you can bake the perfect batch. Now, for someone like me who can't bake at all, this would be perfect. If I can follow the steps, uh, hopefully simplified way of baking, I would definitely buy this up. We're joined now by Gisela Hark, uh, the owner at Hark and Hart. Uh, Gisela, welcome to The Money Show. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. This is a very interesting business given that a lot of people shy away from baking because I think other than boxing, the other sweet science is baking. It's so easy to get wrong. Uh, Why get into this business? (laughs) It was really a a passion or a hobby that turned into a business. Um, I grew up uh, helping my mom in the kitchen and that's really inspired me to to start start my own business. So, yeah, it is a family recipe that's been passed down through the generations. So there's a lot of history and tradition behind it. But, um, yeah, that's that's where I found my passion for it in my mom's kitchen. When you think of the recipes of companies like KFC, you know, the recipe is top secret. How have you kept it in the family and made sure that you have that <laughs> unique taste that you keep with uh, your, your baking goods? 
Yeah, so I, I'm actually, so the, the recipe we produce, but I'm still the one that mixes the uh, the spices or the spice mixture. Ah, I see. Um, so that is top, top secret <laughs> and is not shared by anyone other than family members. Um, so that's, that will remain in the family. Um, yeah, that is a, that is our KFC secret spice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's fair to say you were a little sous chef, a helper in the kitchen uh, while your mom was baking. But of course, at that time, it, w- it was a lot of fun to do, I'm sure. And, uh, part of the, family tradition in terms of uh, baking um, the, the, the ginger biscuit houses. How did it come to, to be a business eventually? Um, well, I, I, it, years ago, I wanted to, uh, after matric, I wanted to, um, you know, go overseas and, and I needed to earn my own, own ticket to go overseas. And so my mom used to bake gingerbread houses for my my brother's scout sale and um i used to help decorate them and i loved it and uh so i decided well this is a great way of earning extra money i love doing it so let me give it a go and i there was the first market that i baked for and, and sold my goods at and um I was absolutely amazed at the the the, the faces of the passerbys. It doesn't matter whether they were it didn't matter whether they were old or young. Everyone was just in in awe of of this gingerbread house and the gingerbread men, and um, and I just loved seeing that that joy and the sort of nostalgia um, in their in their faces and their eyes. And so that's that really planted the seed for me to take this to the next level. I guess the risk that you face here is taking uh, a family tradition, something that you do for fun and formalizing it into a business. How stressful was it when the orders started coming in and you realized your kitchen was too small? Oh, you know what? I think in hindsight, I, if I had known what I'm getting myself into, I probably would never have started it, but I'm very (laughs) grateful that I did start it. Um, I have learned so much about uh, myself and uh, just people and uh, life in general. Um, it's been an, an amazing journey, a tough one. Uh, and you kind of just have to think on your feet and make changes as you go along and, you know, realize where there's things that need to improve and change them quickly and adjust as you are kind of, you know, growing the business. Uh, it's been a massive learning curve and I'm still learning every day. Um, but yeah, it's been an exciting journey. Hospitality businesses, uh, food businesses are known to be successful, uh, especially when the consumers, uh, the customers know the owners personally. How have you been able to keep uh, those family values within um, the, the, this particular business in uh, Hark and Heart? Yeah, I think I'm so I'm a, quite an introvert, so um, I I like to be behind the scenes, and I think that expression though comes through through my creativity and the um, designs that I do for for the company um, that kind of speaks to the people's people's hearts, you know, um, and through our baking kits that are interactive where, you know, the family engagement is, you know, encouraged, um, that's, that kind of speaks to the sort of family values that, that, uh, that we have. 
When the business started, was it uh, you and your mother and uh, using, of course, the old age uh, recipe from home and then maybe you then take, took on the business uh, going forward? Because I know you didn't start out in baking. Uh, you were a designer by profession. Yes, uh, my background is in, in the design industry. Um, working on, yeah, we've worked in the design industry for about 10 years um, and learned quite a bit there about branding and strategic um, marketing. Um, and then I, I started the business on my own officially, um, but then obviously my, my family has been instrumental in, in uh, kind of encouraging me along, along the way. Uh, my dad has played a fundamental role in, in sort of the strategy side of things and my mom for sort of inspiration and guidance on baking and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how the family is involved. But in terms of running the business, I I it's a it's been just me <laughs> on a day to day level. <laughs> you went from just you to employing other people as part of the business, training them, of course, uh, showing them the hark and heart way. How humbling has that experience been, uh, you know, starting a business and seeing it uh, come to fruition, but also changing the lives of others? I think that is the most rewarding part um, in the business. I, I think you learn the most from other people and uh, my employees have certainly taught me a lot about myself and uh, and it's been, it's it's the most rewarding thing seeing someone take on a challenge and um, and grow their own skills and become better at what they're doing and um, kind of succeed at life. So that has been the most rewarding part. And I find great joy in, in, in witnessing that. And it's a privilege to witness that. Now, most interested in the DIY packages because um, every time I've tried to have my own batch of cookies or a cake, <laughs> I seem to miss a step or two and end up with a flop. So this particular DIY <laughs> is to make sure that we don't burn the kitchen. Um, how popular has it been for the business? <laughs> Yeah, it's it, the, the DIY kits are definitely one of our pop, most popular items. Um, they are, yeah, fuss-free and and easy, but you still, it's basically taking all the 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 painful the painful work in a way um, and the, the very very messy work out of uh, out of your hands and and just giving you the joy of, of and the fun of of decorating it uh, and spending some quality time with your kids or having them. Uh, be entertained for a little while 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 they're creating some some fun and some mess <laughs> on the side sometimes <laughs> as well. But that's half the fun of of baking and engaging in in an activity like that. And has there been appetite from the commercial players in terms of retail to have your uh, biscuits and uh, cake uh, houses on 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 their shelves? Yes, so our main business, in fact, is uh, supplying other retailers with our products. That uh, so we we supply retailers nationwide with with our products. We do have an online shop as well, but um, there has been a, a big uptake on on the retail front for our products. And then going outside of the country, have you uh, enticed other parts of the world to come taste your ginger biscuits? That is on the that is on the on the on the cards, but we we do actually export to Namibia and Botswana. We have some retailers in in those countries that do stock our product as well, 
Um, so that's quite exciting for us. And it's definitely something that we want to uh, be looking at uh, in the near future to to kind of widen the horizon a little bit. There has been interest in other markets. Uh, it's just a matter of, of now following through and, and you know, creating those connections and, and uh, yeah, securing the securing the business how tough would it be to still keep the the business and the family if you will uh because this is a heartwarming family business that makes uh, biscuits um you know using an old german um you know traditional uh, recipe so how does hark and heart keep those values as uh, the commercial space opens up Um, that's a that's a good question. I think um, a lot uh, a lot can be be done. So a big focus for us is um, this year is to work on our um, company culture and uh, sort of staff satisfaction and um, trying to sort of instill those values um, in in the culture. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. I, it's a good question. Um, that I need to probably delve into a little bit more. But um, yeah, so that would be my, my take on that. All right. Uh, if, uh, if you need them, you can uh, look out for uh, Hark and Heart. Of course, that was the CEO, Gisela Hark, talking to us about those DIY baking packages that make baking easier, especially for people like us who are terrible when it comes to baking in the kitchen. Thank you so much for that conversation. 702 and Cape Talk. Motel is on Twitter at Motel underscore Huaripe. It is that time, time for the Brutal Biz Quiz, testing you on all the knowledge we've shared with you on the show this week. Of course, if you've been listening attentively and you'd like to compete for uh, this week's bragging rights, you can join us on 011-883-0702 or if you are in Cape Town at 021-446-0567. The first question then that you can look out for and if you have the answer, do call us. Sunday Red is a new lifestyle active brand by which golfer? that recently parted ways with Nike after 27 years. Sunday Red is a new lifestyle active brand by which golfer that recently parted ways with Nike after 27 years? If you do know the answer, call us on 011-883-0702 on Cape Talk on 021-446-0567. The Money Show with Motel Kwaribe on 702. 702. If you've just joined us, we are busy with a brutal biz quiz. Do you know the answer? Sunday Red is a new lifestyle active brand by which golfer that recently parted ways with Nike after 27 years. And first to, first to go uh, for the bragging rights is Rozani in Winchester Hills. What's the answer, Rozani? It's Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, of course, is the answer after parting ways with Nike. Uh, after 27 years, he's now partnered with TaylorMade for that Sunday Red Golf brand. Let's see if you get this one right then. Uh, name, Dutch, name the Dutch brewer that owns Amstel, uh, JC LaRue and Amarula that wrote down its SA Beverages business by about 10 billion rand this week. Rosani? Uh, it's Hofbrau. I'm sorry, I didn't get that? Hofbrau. No, unfortunately, that is not the correct answer. Dave in Pretoria, do you know the answer to that question? The Dutch brewer. Yeah, like I knew the first answer. I don't know. I don't know the second answer. Sorry, I don't know. You don't want to try? Yeah. 
The Dutch brewer that owns Amstel, JC LaRue and Amarula recently acquired the style as well. Heineken is the answer, of course. Keep trying there. Let's yeah. see if you can get the... Yes, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. there, hey. Anita Roddick founded you, which company that fell under administration in the UK this week? Anita Roddick founded which company that fell under administration in the UK this week? They're fine in South Africa, but in the UK, they could see job losses of about 2,000 personnel. Wow. Think cosmetics, yeah. things, think taking care of yourself. Very famous uh, brand, this one, uh, in, uh, on our shores as well. Oof, um, let me think. Um, All right, I think Dave uh, is stumped there. Let's try uh, Donovine. Donovine, do you know the answer to that question? Donovine's gone. Mohammed in Rustenburg. Do you know the name of the company? Anita Roddick founded uh, in the UK. It's, it went under administration this particular week, but it's fine in South Africa. The Body Shop. The Body Shop, of course, is the correct answer. Let's try squeezing one last question. Nkosana Makate is said to have proposed which concept at Vodacom? Nkosana Makate is said to have proposed which concept at Vodacom? And he's due, of course, a big payday. Uh, the please call me concept. The please call me concept is correct. And of course, Mohammed takes the bragging rights today in our brutal biz quiz at getting those two questions right. Of course, attesting you on all the knowledge we shared with you on the show, on The Money Show. Uh, it is, of course, seven now. It's time for Eyewitness News. And after that, you can enjoy the best bits of The Money Show. This, this is Eyewitness News. A very good evening, I'm Bali Lamini. South Africa recorded a 1.7% drop in the number of reported sexual offences during the third quarter of last year. Earlier today, Police Minister Peggy Kele released the third quarter crime statistics covering the period between the 1st of October and the 31st of December 2023. Kele says the fight against violence against women in all its forms remains a priority for the men and women in blue. Over 12,200 rape cases were reported during the period under review, which represents a decrease of 208 from the previous year. Tabi Sokoba reports. In the four indicators of sexual offences, it is only attempted sexual offences that have increased by 10 cases during the period in review. Rape, sexual assaults and contact sexual offences have all reported decreases. In under police station, which consistently records the highest number of reported rape cases in the country, recorded a 20-count decrease.